Hello and welcome back to the Reformed Affections podcast. In the previous episode, I focused on the first three verses of Psalm 1 and what it says concerning the blessed man. Today, I want to look at the last three verses and the contrast of the godly and the ungodly in regards to where those two lives will lead, especially focusing on the benefits that the Christians share in through our union with Christ and then the weakness of life without a foundation that all people outside of Christ take fellowship in. So Psalm 1 verses 4 to 6 reads, The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. So when speaking about the ungodly people of this world, the Psalter uses the image of chaff to explain how their lack of a firm foundation leaves them to be as chaff before the wind. The wind drives the chaff out with ease. Proverbs 10.25 tells us that when the whirlwind passes by, the wicked is no more, but the righteous has an everlasting foundation. The ungodly and the godly will not both be driven by the wind. The righteous have their root, their foundation, in God. We cannot be cast to and fro because we have become like a tree firmly planted beside the rivers of water. When God unleashes his judgment upon mankind, we will stand in that righteous judgment because we cling solely to Christ. Like the old hymn, Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Upon judgment, will you be found clinging to Christ and the salvation that he has granted us, or will you be as chaff without foundation and holding nothing but your sin in your hands awaiting the wrath of God? Proverbs 12.3 restates the truth that a man is not established by wickedness and that the root of the righteous cannot be moved. By acting in wickedness and sin, we do not cause ourselves to plant ourselves firmly to withstand God's judgment. Rather, we plant ourselves in the firing line of his wrath. Christ said in Matthew 7.24, But whoever hears his sayings and does them, he will liken him to a wise man who has built his house on the rock. But when the rain of floods came with the mighty winds, the house did not fall because it was founded on the rock. If we are going to withstand the righteous judgment of God, let us be found with Christ as our foundation, our Redeemer and Lord. Or else, as Job said, we will be like the chaff carried away in the storm. So on top of this metaphor of the chaff driven by wind, the Bible also employs the metaphor of stubble devoured by fire. In Isaiah 5.24, the prophet says that, Therefore, as the fire devours the stubble and the flame consumes the chaff, so their root will be as rottenness and their blossom will ascend like dust. Because they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. Both metaphors drive home this reality of those without Christ are without righteousness that will save them on the day of judgment and will be driven by the wind, devoured by the fire. The ungodly shall not stand in the judgment. God's justice must be and will be poured out upon all sin. He cannot bypass his justice and continue to be a holy, righteous God. Job says in Job chapter 8 verse 3, Does God subvert judgment or does the Almighty pervert justice? God created mankind and is the sovereign ruler over all things. His law has been established and his law will be upheld. If we break any of the laws of God, 
we become liable for the corresponding punishment, and the scripture tells us that the punishment of sin is death. And it also tells us that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The biblical witness is overwhelming in defense of the fact that we all truly and justly deserve the wrath of God because of our sin. Thus, it's not surprising to find out through the psalmist's words that the ungodly will not stand in judgment. Romans 4.5 highlights the gracious kindness of God, instructing us that to him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. This means that we do not become righteous and enter into God's glory by turning from sin and fulfilling the law only, but by placing our full trust and faith in Jesus Christ alone who is fully able to save us from our sin. Remember that Job said, God does not subvert or pervert his justice. Our sin demanded God to punish us, but in his loving mercy and grace, he gave to us his only begotten son to die for us on the cross, taking the punishment that we deserved upon himself, and thereby freeing us from the curse of the law and giving us righteous standing before God in judgment. The ungodly reject Christ. They hate the cross of salvation and they detest the mercy and grace that God has extended to us. Blinded by a heart of hateful sinfulness, mankind would rather seek a self-made righteousness than find forgiveness in Christ. Therefore, the wicked people have no standing when it comes to judgment day and they will be truly blown by the wind and devoured by the fire of God's holy righteousness. The psalm posits two different congregations, the one of the righteous in which the wicked have no place and the assembly of sinners that the blessed ones avoid. They are complete opposites of one another, delighting in different things and participating in polar opposite actions. The wicked assembly walks in ungodly counsel. They walk in the broad path of destruction and assembles together in the seat of scornfulness. And what are these individual actions? I think best to consider the ungodly counsel mainly in light of what I have previously spoken about. The godly counsel is to heed the commands of Christ and walk in his instruction. So the ungodly counsel would be to mock that counsel and despise it, walking after the desires of our own hearts rather than godliness. Psalm chapter 10 verse 3 states, But the wicked boasts of his heart's desire. He blesses the greedy and renounces the Lord. Our hearts are deceitful and wicked without God's grace. So to walk after these desires is to walk contrary to God's instruction, which is the blessed man's delight. Walking in that broad path of destruction is far easier said than avoided. It's the path that by nature we all desire and favour over against a narrow path of salvation. Christ said in Matthew seven thirteen that wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. This path is easily found and we need only look around ourselves in our own lives and those who are around us and we'll see the multitudes of people who walk in this way of wickedness going completely contrary to morality. At every turn they detest the instruction of God and they, they turn to the desires of their own hearts. Christ said concerning the path of the righteous that narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. To take heart in your own journey on the narrow path, knowing that every Christian struggles in the forsaking of the old life and the natural desires we are always so drawn towards. 
We need to remind ourselves that we have been freed from our sin to now live to righteousness by the power of God. And if you're currently on that path of destruction, the only way off of it is to forsake your sinful ways and to turn to Christ seeking his grace and find salvation. So if you're on that path, please jump off of it. Go and turn to Christ, seek him, seek his grace and find his salvation and place your faith and your trust completely in him alone. Otherwise you will not stand in that day of judgment. It is God who establishes us on the narrow path. He takes us from the wide path of destruction and helps us out of that dark place to let us on our way in his narrow path. In Psalm 40 verse 2, the psalmist states this truth in these words. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my steps. God hears our pleas for his salvation and moves us from that path of death to the path of life. It is God who establishes this way of righteousness. Mankind does not establish, we actively by nature do not want this path to life, as it means humbling ourselves and acknowledging that we are not capable on our own to accomplish this. In today's world, it is weak to call for help, weak, weak to be unable to do something of our own wisdom, of our own power. But God says, do not be ashamed of your weaknesses to save yourselves, but do not be too proud to find my salvation either. We all need to humble ourselves, repent and believe the gospel, turn from our own strength or what, what we think, strength we think we have. Turn and Rest solely on that strength and power and ability of Christ who alone is able to save. The ungodly are established on that wide path destined for destruction and will perish on that way. What the scriptures say about this perishing of the ungodly is that it will take very little for them to be destroyed. Remember the wicked, and this goes for anyone listening who is not a true believer in Christ, will be driven by the wind and devoured by the fire of God's judgment. Psalm 68.2 reads, As smoke is driven, so drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. All it will take for the wicked, the unrighteous ones, to perish is for God to be present. This is the glorious truth of the holiness of God. Were we Christians not joined in this union with Christ, sharing in the benefits of his death and resurrection by God-given faith, we would be destroyed at the very presence of our holy God come judgment day. We sinful human beings will not be able to stand the glory of his righteous presence. So super exceedingly radiant is his holiness that our sinful, self-centered heart will condemn us on the spot in the presence of such holiness. We may in this life run from internal convictions of our inherent moral anchoring. However, on that glorious, terrible day, our self-condemnation will be unavoidable and the following punishment would be completely inexcusable. This truth of falling at the presence of God is echoed to us again in Psalm 80, verse 16. They perish at the rebuke of your countenance. The presence of our holy God is terrifying to a sin-infested soul. Let us not be caught denying our sinfulness, deceiving ourselves into hell. Examine ourselves fully. Let us all turn to Christ, accepting our sinful condition and need of him, that we will be found standing upon that firm foundation of Christ's righteousness on Judgment Day. And finally, Psalm 73, 27. For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. Will you be found as one far from God? 
numbered amongst the wicked, seeking the worldly counsel and seat of scornful mocking? Or will you search for the congregation of the righteous and be found standing and sharing in the righteousness of Christ? Everything stands on the balance of that question. Will you stand with Christ and inherit everlasting life? Or will you continue in rebellion against God, hoping in your worldly counsel to find peace in the life to come? Or have you so hardened your heart as to believe that this world is all that there is in our human existence and be found wailing in the punishment you deserve after a life of sin? Amen.